The Bible says, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. The title of my message this evening is a question. It's a question aimed at you, Christian. Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's pray. God, as we analyze our hearts tonight and ask ourselves this question, would you help us to walk away challenged, Lord, to live with the Holy Spirit in control of our lives and that power being poured through us so that we can be a better influence Lord, we can live with the fruits of the Spirit evident in our hearts. And Lord, what this world needs are Christians who will learn to love. Love the world around them. Love a dark, hurting world. But God, we can't do that if we're being controlled by our sinful flesh. So Lord, as we consider this, may you touch our hearts. I pray that for someone tonight, if not several someone tonight, this would be a life-changing sermon for them. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Let me begin by asking you this question. This is a doctrinal question. Some people here might think that this is a technical doctrinal question, but a very important question. Here's the question. Don't answer out loud, just answer in your head. Is every saved person automatically filled with the Spirit? Is every saved person automatically filled with the Holy Spirit? Many Christians struggle with parsing these terms. There's a lot of terms in the Bible about the Christian's interaction with the Holy Spirit. Hold your place in Ephesians 5. Turn back over to John chapter 3, fourth book of the New Testament. John chapter 3. Let's look at some of these terms tonight. First thing I'll tell you is that for your salvation, you are born of the Spirit. You are born of the Spirit. Look at John 3, verse 5. Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus here, the religious man who is lost. He said, the Bible says there, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, or truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit. Notice the capital S, referring to the person of the Holy Spirit. Born of water or a natural, physical birth, and of the Spirit or the Holy Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven, so our kingdom of God. So, born of the Spirit. Look at verse 6. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Again, reiterating the, the birth from the water sack of a mother and then the being born anew or born again in Christ. Verse 7. Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must... Be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is every one that is born of the capital S or the Holy Spirit. So your salvation comes by way of being born of the Holy Spirit. Once you are saved, once you have put your faith and trust in Christ, once you have believed in Jesus' sacrifice, once you have seen 
your sin and what it did to Christ on the cross, once you realize that salvation only comes by admitting your sin, uh, turning from that and turning to Christ and believing in Christ and putting your total faith in Christ, you are born of the Spirit. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit indwells you. There's the second term. Indwells you or takes up residence. There is no bearing on how carnal or fleshly or sinful you are living as a child of God. If you are a child of God, regardless of how you are living your life, regardless of whether or not you're carnal or you're spiritual or you're carnal sometimes and spiritual sometimes, if you are a born-again child of God, the Holy Spirit indwells you. Let me prove it to you. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. That would be two books before, or three books rather, before Ephesians. So if you're in Ephesians, you've got Galatians prior to that, 2 Corinthians prior to that, and then 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. Look with me at verse number 19. And again, here, uh, Paul, we've, been, we've looked at this passage a few times over the last uh, month or so. But here, Paul is talking to carnal Christians. Carnal Christians. In this particular passage, he's dealing with those who are living uh, uh, immorally. Those who are living an immoral lifestyle. Christians who are living in an immoral lifestyle, an immorality that's pierced into and has infiltrated into the church. And Paul is trying to tell them to get rid of the immorality both out of their church and out of their own hearts. And he reminds them in verse 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Why? Because the Holy Spirit was indwelling them. Which ye have of God, the Holy Ghost living inside of one is a gift of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. So we're born of the Spirit. Upon our salvation, we are indwelled by the Spirit. He moves in and takes up residence. But what about being filled with the Spirit, filled with the Holy Ghost? Is that an automatic given for the believer? The answer is a very loud and firm no. Just because you have been born of the Spirit, and just because you have the indwelling of the Spirit, does not mean that you live with the filling of the Spirit. The filling of the Spirit. One proof of this is Paul's admonishment to who? The believers of Ephesus. Go back to Ephesians 5. The book of Ephesians was written to a church, the church of Ephesus. This letter was written to those who had been born of the Spirit. This letter was being written to those who had the Spirit indwelling them. But this church was being admonished to make sure that they were not just born of the Spirit and indwelled by the Spirit, but they were filled with the Spirit. Ephesians 5 verse 18, and be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but what? Be filled with the Spirit. He told these saved people that they needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, before we go any further, have you ever heard the phrase baptized with the Holy Spirit? You ever, raise your hand if you ever heard that phrase. All right. How many of you have ever been confused as to what that even means? All right. I'm going to make a strong case tonight that being filled with the Spirit and being baptized with the Holy Spirit is the same thing. The only phrase you, the only place in the Bible you find the phrase filled with the Spirit in the Bible is Ephesians 5.18. If I'm wrong, come show me, but I looked it up this week. 
And with technology, you can punch in a phrase and it'll give you everywhere it is in the Bible. That's the only place you find that in the Bible. However, the concept of being baptized with the Holy Spirit or baptized with the Holy Ghost, that fits uh, this same idea right here. So uh, being baptized with the Spirit is not uh, the case in every believer. In fact, it is my strong opinion after having studied it out that being baptized with the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit are the same thing. And I think if you are confused on that, it will make a lot more sense by the end of the sermon. Now, this evening I propose that most Christians do not and have not ever experienced a regular lifestyle of Holy Spirit fulfillment. They do not and they have not. And I, when I say the majority of Christians, I'll take it a step further. The majority of those sitting in this room. Do not and have not. I'll take it a step further. The majority of my life, I have not enjoyed the regular fulfillment or filling of the Holy Spirit. I just haven't. I just haven't. It is, it can be difficult to get to. A difficult place to get to. But oh boy, when you get there, you will never want to leave it. You'll never want to leave it. Many Christians battle back and forth between Holy Spirit control and their own sinful fleshly control. We substitute God's best for fleshly impulses. We live our lives so filled with ourselves and the clutter and glitz and glam of the world that there is no room. There's no room for the Holy Spirit to fill us. Furthermore, I propose that many Christians are totally oblivious to this truth. It's not even on their radar. They don't think in these terms. They don't think about this. They think that because they go to church once a week or twice a week or three times a week and because they read their Bible and they pray all either a semi-regular basis or a regular basis and they think that because they have uh, somewhat of a spiritual routine that that makes them uh, a good enough person and they're not even really concerned with what it means to live filled with and baptized by the Holy Spirit. They forego God's supernatural power to love and forgive in exchange for a weak, anemic, pathetic version of the Christian life. You know what separates a church from having spiritual revival from a church that's just the same old, same old is really this truth right here. When are you going to submit under, come under the control and authority of the Holy Spirit and let Him have control of every facet of your life. Now, we'll look at four principal thoughts tonight. While we do that, I want you to self-evaluate. I want you to be open and honest with yourself. I want you to be open and honest before the Lord. And I want each of us here to ask this question. Am I filled with myself? Or am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Let's jump in. Number one, let's look at the formula for Holy Spirit fulfillment. The formula for Holy Spirit fulfillment. So, um, God's Word's amazing. Not only does it tell us what we are supposed to do, He then goes out and tells us how to do it. He gives us practical steps we can take to do it. I love that about His Word. Chapter and verse markings were added to the Bible after it was written. They were put there 
after they were written. Aren't you glad that I say to you, open Ephesians 5.18 instead of open two-thirds of the way through the book of Ephesians and look for the word and. Aren't you glad we don't have to do it that way? I'm thankful for the chapter and verse markings, but they're not inspired like the rest of the Bible. They're, they were not put there by God. They were put there by man. But And I'll tell you, while it's good to have them and it's convenient to have them, one downside to having uh, uh, scripture verses, uh, chapters and verse markings in the Bible is that sometimes we think that when a verse ends, the truth ends and, and a new truth begins in the next verse. That is not the case with verse number 18. Uh, um, God tells us right here very plainly uh, how it is that we are to be filled with the Spirit. And if you look at the end of verse 18, you'll notice that there is no period at the end of the verse. Look at it. And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What's the punctuation after Spirit? It's a semicolon. What does the semicolon mean? It means this thought continues. It does not mean this thought comes to an end. Where do you find the first period at the conclusion, or once verse 18 ends, how far does that sentence run to? All the way down to verse number 21. So, we're given a command in verse 18, be filled with the Spirit, and then we're told how to do it from verse 19 down through verse 21. Verse 21 is interesting. How many of you here like to watch Wheel of Fortune? Do we have any Wheel of Fortune watchers in the crowd? All right. Um, um, you ever see that category before and after? Right, so you'll have a you'll have two two phrases, and they share one word in common that's in the middle. Verse twenty one is kind of like a before and after. Verse twenty one deals with how to be filled with the Spirit, and verse twenty one also deals with how to be married. They both are it's applicable to both, and you have to read eighteen to twenty one together, and then you've got to read twenty one down to the end of the chapter together. So we're going to look at eighteen down through verse twenty one, and we're going to talk about how to be filled. With the Spirit. Really quick here, uh, quickly here, letter A, speaking, speaking godly music. Speaking godly music. Look at verse 19. Speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Speaking to yourselves. Now, why would we be told to speak the words to a song? When was the last time that you sat in your car... And you took the words to a song that you like, secular or Christian, and you just spoke them to yourself. That's not natural. If you do that, it's a learned behavior. It's a learned behavior. I doubt you're going to get in your car tonight all on your own. You might after the sermon, but all on your own. Get in your car tonight and go, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost. But now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, we'll know God's praise, grace to sing God's praise when it first began. I just made up half of that last verse. I had no idea. See, if I was singing, it'd be natural. Speaking godly music. Why? Because when we speak godly music, boy, the words hit home a little bit harder. You know, um, I know most of the hymns while I'm singing them, not speaking them, by heart. And I can stand here and not open my hymn book, and I can get through about two-thirds of the songs pretty easily. And you know what I catch myself doing? Not paying attention to the words. I'm singing them, but I'm not really paying attention to them. So I open my hymn book oftentimes on purpose so that I'm forced to stare at the words 
and force myself to not only sing them, but read them. It'd be a good idea for you to buy a hymnal out of our uh, bookstore or buy one offline. Don't steal one out of the pew, amen? Uh, Take that home and read through the hymnals as part of your devotion, speaking godly music. Colossians 3.16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So, again, we're to speak to ourselves in in, uh, in, a, in, a, in a, uh, with godly music. Let her be noticed, singing godly music. So, uh, or singing a godly melody, rather. Singing a godly melody. Look at verse number 19 of Ephesians 5. Speaking yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. If, um, if Jesus were to climb in your car in the middle of your weight ride home, just automatically appear in the passenger seat. You have the radio turned up high. Is what you're singing to going to please him, or are you going to be embarrassed and turn it off? Is what you're listening to, does it glorify sin, self, and Satan, or does it glorify the Lord Jesus Christ? You see, how are we filled with the Holy Spirit? We're filled by singing godly music. Psalm 717 says, I will praise the Lord according to his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. Psalm 1849, therefore will I give thanks unto thee, O Lord, among the heathen and sing praise unto thy name. So we're not just to speak godly music, we're to sing uh, godly melodies. I'm not going to get in tonight what a godly song is and isn't, but if you finish a song and you don't feel closer to the Lord or you don't feel the desire to get on your knees and pray, you probably shouldn't be listening to that. Uh, letter C, notice supplying a grateful message. Supplying a grateful message. Look back at Ephesians 5 and verse 20. Again, the thought continues about how to be filled with the Spirit. Give, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we're to give thanks in the good times when it's going good. You're to give thanks when you get a raise. Not, oh, look how hard I worked. I earned this raise. No, thank you, Lord, for giving me the strength. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the work ethic. Thank you, Lord, for giving me the brain. Lord, everything I have is for you. This raise I'm getting, my boss thinks he's giving it to me, but you put it in his heart to give it to me. Thank you, God, for this raise. Uh, how about when uh, you find out the tragic news of a loved one's passing? Uh, it may be hard for you to be thankful for that. It may be hard to supply a grateful message in the tragic death of a loved one or the news uh, of sickness that falls on someone who uh, was a, a, a good person by society standards. But God has commanded us that we are to supply a grateful message in the good times and the bad. Ephesians 5, 4. Uh, turn over or, or look at Ephesians chapter 5 verse 4 with me just a few verses above says neither uh, filthiness nor foolish talking nor jesting which are not convenient but rather giving of thanks we're not to speak filthy terms our language ought not be labeled as filthy it ought not be foolish talking or or jesting which is uh, joking around about things that are not pleasing to the Lord or that are d- uh, disgusting. Uh, uh, those things are not convenient. Rather, our conversations ought to involve the giving of thanks. First Thessalonians 5.18, we looked at it last week, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus 
concerning you. Hebrews 13, 15, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Christian, uh, do you regularly offer a grateful message, a voice of gratitude to God for all of the good he's put in your life? Or is your focus on the bad? Is your focus on uh, what uh, uh, doesn't make you happy? Again, the formula for Holy Spirit fulfillment laid out in Ephesians 5, letter D, notice submitting to a godly model. Submitting to a godly model. Look back at verse 21. It says, submitting yourselves one to another... In the fear of God, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. The rest of the chapter goes into marriage, talks about how that the husband is to be the servant leader of his home. He's to love his wife, serve her, nourish her. He's to treat her the way Christ treats the church and that the wife is to come alongside and complete her husband by being submissive to him. Verse 21 says that uh, they're at times to submit to each other. And if you're married here tonight uh, and you are submitting one to the other, both the husband to the wife, uh, fulfilling her needs, and the wife to the husband, following his guidance and his leadership, then that is helping you to be filled with the Spirit. So that is the formula. Number two, let's look at the fierceness of Holy Spirit fulfillment. The fierceness of Holy Spirit fulfillment. I'm going to really work to try to sell you tonight on this, during this point, on why it is you need to live filled with the Holy Spirit. Look back at verse 18. Kind of an odd beginning to this verse. But when you begin to analyze it, it's powerful. Verse 18, And be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. God makes an odd parallel here, doesn't he? He says, being filled with the Spirit, if you want to know what that looks like, look at a drunk. Look, that's controlled by his alcohol. Let me give you quickly here a letter A being a C to parallel drunkenness with spirit Fulfillment. Now, they're opposite ends. By the way, let me just say this. The drunk is over here on the dark end. The one that lives spirit-filled is over here on the opposite end of the spectrum. But the two have some things that are parallel. Let me give you an A, B, and a C really quick. Letter A, notice, a deliberate choice. A deliberate choice. It would be highly unusual for somebody to get drunk against their will. I'm not going to say it's never happened. I'm sure someone's been strapped to a chair and had liquor poured down their throat against their will. But what is that? One-tenth of one percent of all the time someone's gotten drunk? When someone gets drunk, they chose to pick up that first bottle of beer, that first can of beer. They chose to lift it to their lips. They chose to consume it. And if they had a high tolerance or a higher tolerance, they chose to pick up the second and the third and the fourth. I've never had a sip of alcohol in my life. How many many beers does a person have to drink to get drunk? Six? Ten? I guess it depends on the drunk. Um, It's a deliberate choice. You don't get drunk on accident. You don't get drunk. Now, generally how this works, while I've never been drunk, I've watched other people get drunk. 
I was a valet driver for a company. I did uh, uh, some work uh, on weekends occasionally, and we would do big parties in the Inner Harbor in Baltimore. And people would pull up in high-rolling, expensive cars, and we'd park those. And uh, uh, they'd come out at the end of the night, midnight, one in the morning, and we'd bring their car up. And you could smell the alcohol on their breath. You could see them stumbling around, and, and they'd climb in their car, and they would weave their way out of the parking lot or uh, down the road, and off they'd go. And uh, I've seen people drunk. I've seen people get drunk and I got to tell you that what happens is they don't generally start the night with the plan to get drunk. They start the night by saying, I'll have just one. And then after they have one, their ability to make a solid decision is diminished just a little. So they have a second. By the time they've got two or three down, depending on the concentration of the alcohol, their ability to decide whether or not they want to get drunk is gone. And they just keep drinking and drinking until they have made themselves totally, completely drunk. Nobody is filled with the Spirit on accident. Yes, you get You get saved and the Holy Spirit moves in and indwells you. But if you're going to live a Spirit-filled life uh, 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 where you have the Holy Spirit in control, calling the shots on the regular basis, where your heart is filled with the Holy Spirit, the heart is filled with His influence, and the Holy Spirit is filling you with all of the things that He does, you must make a deliberate choice to take those steps to follow Ephesians 5, 18-21. That doesn't come on its own. You must choose to make that a lifestyle. Let her be, notice, a, def, a defined change of character. A defined change of character. One preacher put it this way. This is really well put. Listen. I have known men who were timid when they were sober, but who became belligerent and pugnacious when they were drunk. Men who were hard as nails when sober but sentimental and tearful when drunk. Men who were congenial and friendly when sober, but morose and surly when drunk. I have seen drink turn a moral man into an immoral man and make a filthy-minded man sing hymns learned at his mother's knee or argue with others about religion. Drink turns a man into another kind of person. It It distorts his conduct and de- uh, degrades his conversation. And my friends, so it is with Holy Spirit fulfillment. When we are filled with His Spirit, He changes our broken character. He changes uh, our emotional shortcomings into a harmonious work of art. He fills in the gaps and He makes up the difference. You say, Pastor, I'm not naturally uh, a someone who's very good at showing compassion and love with others. Pastor, I'm naturally depressed and, and I lack joy. Pastor, uh, I, there's war and strife going in my heart and I battle with that. I have a tendency to fall that way. Pastor, I'm a man of wrath and I blow up easy and I yell at people and I get nasty. And Pastor, there is some uh, uh, impatience in my life and I just can't overcome. And to that, I'd say the Holy Spirit can step in and make up all the difference where you can't. But you must live with him in control. Just like a drunk is changed as he becomes intoxicated or filled with his alcohol, you will change when the Holy Spirit begins to fill you and control you. Letter C, let me give you one more analogy here, a daily consumption. 
a daily consumption. You know what happens after the alcohol wears off? An alcoholic has to choose to go down to the store or down to the bar and buy another drink. He has to choose to get drunk again. You don't stay drunk unless you just keep on drinking. You do that, you kill yourself pretty quick. But there's that sleeping it off, that late-night Taco Bell run. Again, others sharing with me, not from experience. There's that waking up and maybe puking. And there's the hangover. And once you get past the hangover and you've gotten to a place of sobriety, you must choose to go get drunk all over again. And Christian, to be filled with the Holy Spirit, it is a daily choice to consume that truth and let Him control you. If this is not living in the forefront of your brain, if this is not something that you're dwelling on, that I'm going to kill off or mortify the sinful deeds of my flesh, and I'm going to elevate the Holy Spirit's control in my heart, if this isn't something that you're doing on a regular basis throughout the day, then, my friend, you will not live filled with the Holy Spirit. Number three, let's look at the foes of Holy Spirit fulfillment. Brother Jason, Belize. Can you help me get that out? Brother Carson, can you go with him and help him? He's going he's gonna to help, uh, you're going to help him take something, uh, an object illustration for me out of the closet here. The foes of Holy Spirit fulfillment. While they're doing that, can you turn over to Galatians chapter 5 for me? Galatians is just one book back to your left there. Galatians chapter 5. And let's look at verse number 19. The Bible says, guys, you'll put it right, right to my left here. The Bible says, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Look here. Adultery. What is adultery? It's the violation of the marital commitment. Right at the edge of the platform, guys. Thank you. Adultery, violation of the marital commitment, or aiding in the act. So you can be single and commit adultery by sleeping with someone who is married. Fornication. And that's any and all uh, uh, sins of sexuality, uncleanness. That word uncleanness means impurity. Lasciviousness, that's extreme immorality or terrible and gross perverseness of that area. So verse 19, the, the, the works of the flesh all have the same nature. Look at verse 20. Idolatry, witchcraft. Funny enough, the word for witchcraft in the Greek is the word pharmakeia. Pharmakeia, pharmaceutical, gets its same origin out of the same root word. What does pharmakeia mean? What does um, uh, witchcraft mean? Well, it means to cast spells or to deal drugs. Those who deal drugs are performing witchcraft. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Verse 20, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred. We know what hatred is. Variance. Variance means strife or discord. Emulations or jealousy. To be jealous. Wrath, strife, seditions. Seditions, again, sowing divisions. Heresies. Now, there, i got to tell you, when I was studying this out, that word heresies seemed to be a misfit for me until I 
looked up what it meant, and then uh, thought of it in that tense. That word heresies there means the malicious dividing of people through the teaching of false doctrines. This is someone who comes in and teaches false doctrines on purpose so that they can divide the church. Now, it's one thing if you get up and teach false doctrine and you meant well. It's another thing when you get up and teach false doctrine knowing you're teaching false doctrine so that you can be divisive. Look at verse 21. Envyings. We know what it means to envy. Murders. Drunkenness. Revelings. And such like of the time, in uh, such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, you woke up this morning, and you, um, i got to try not to make a mess here. You woke up this morning, and out of ha- your habit, you read the word of God, and you poured the righteousness of the Holy Spirit inside of you, inside of your being, inside of your heart. Well, what happened? What happened? You got a little bit closer to being filled with the Spirit. You got a long ways to go, but you've taken the first step. Um, let's say this was a Monday morning. On your way to work, you lusted after someone of the opposite gender. Women lust too. So it's not just men, right? Women can see a good-looking guy and go, ooh. I'll, take my, I'll limit my comments to that. Uh, but women can lust just as well as men. And in this society, it happens almost as much now. So you, on your way to work, you lusted. What happened? Well, there went what you did in your Bible devotions. And in comes the works of the flesh. And then, and then uh, you... You got to work and you thought, you know, uh, the pastor preached a good sermon on prayer. Or I heard that at, at Addictions Deliverance on Friday nights. Or I heard that in my Sunday school. So you get away during your break time at work and everybody else is smoking a cigarette during that time. So you walk around the complex and you pray. And you go back and you pour out what you poured in with the flesh. And you come back and say, you know what, Lord, I, I'm sorry for what I did. And would you please fill me with your spirit? And you, you Spend that 15, 10, 15 minutes in prayer, and you see there's a little bit dirt there. Now you're not quite as clean as you were because there's some residue left over from your bad uh, decision-making. But there you are, and you're uh, filled uh, with a little bit of the Spirit. You're not filled and overflowing, but uh, you're there. Uh, so uh, then uh, at that point, now you're doing a little bit better. You go in, and your boss, he gives you a really hard time about a project that you're working on. You get in the flesh because he's uh, jumping to conclusions on some things and he's not, in your opinion, being fair. You get in the flesh and wrath and strife pour out of you and you lose your temper and you either let him have it or after he leaves, you have a blow up and out goes that work of the Holy Spirit and in comes the work of the flesh, the, the fruit of the flesh. Back and forth you see Saul. Then you go to church on Sunday, and you hear good preaching that convicts your heart. And you think, boy, I shouldn't have blown it at work like that. I shouldn't have, I shouldn't have watched that show on TV. I shouldn't have acted in a way that didn't please Christ. 
And you say, God, would you please forgive me? And what does 1 John 1 9 tell us? If we confess, he forgives. So we confess, we pour out the fruits of the flesh, we get our heart right with God at the altar at the end of the sermon, and we leave church on Sunday night, and boy, we are ready to go be filled with the Spirit. We're ready. But then the next day happens. I like the guy who woke up in the morning and he said to God while he's laying on his pillow, I don't want to get up. I haven't sinned yet. If I get up off this bed, there's a good chance I'm going to do something wrong. You get up and you go to work. Somebody at work is playing office politics. They're smoozing up to the boss. They're, they're doing their part to get that promotion. And you know you've outworked them. You know that you've earned that race. You know that you've earned that step up the ladder. But who does the boss call a meeting and give it to? He calls and gives it to the person who has played off his politics in the face of you trying to do it the right way. And once again, oh boy, you lose it. And here comes the work of the flesh. And back and forth, the fruit of the flesh seesaws. With the Holy Spirit's power. You go and you get your heart and you try to confess and you tell the Lord you're sorry, but He can see through your confession and He knows you're not honest. A little bit of the fruit of the flesh gets poured out and you're in a little bit of a rage and you get home and you turn on the TV and you watch something on HBO or Showtime or Cinemax that's filled with foul language and filled with uh, uh, things that uh, adults or children or anybody should be watching, and you just binge with your sin, and you, you fill your heart with your flesh, and you shrug your shoulders, and you say, I've tried, and I've tried to do what's right, and the flesh just keeps getting the best of me. Why even keep trying? We do not live spirit-filled lives because we're too busy pouring in the fruits of the flesh and then, when the fruits of the flesh are present, the Holy Spirit's fulfillment is not. It's not. You say, but what if I'm pouring both in at the same time? If I pour in clean water and dirty water at the same time, what happens to the clean water? It's not clean anymore. It's not clean anymore. The foes. The foes. Now, with that in mind, look back at Galatians 5, verse 19. It says, the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. Which of these do you struggle with? Don't answer that out loud, but be honest with yourself. Adultery. Say, oh, pastor, I'm good there. He that looketh upon a woman has committed adultery with her already in his heart. Matthew 5, 28. How are we doing so far? Fornication. Well, you say, well, I'm married, so I can't commit that one. Uh, any sin of that label is fornication. How about the next one? Uncleanness. Well, if you're guilty of the first two, you're guilty of that one. Lasciviousness. This is extreme immorality. Verse 20. Idolatry. You say, well, pastor, I don't bow down to statues. I, I've left 
uh, uh, those types of religions. And, and, you know, I serve God. Well, go back and listen to my sermon on Christian idolatry where we we tailor make God into who we want him to be. And the Bible tells us that covetousness is idolatry. And in the Old Testament, uh, Samuel told Saul that stubbornness is as idolatry. So maybe we're guilty of that one from time to time. Witchcraft. How about the next one? Hatred. Whose name, if I mention right now, would make your blood boil? Who, if they walked in this room right now and sat right next to you, you'd be like, you better get out of here. Because i got nothing nice to say to you. Fruit of the flesh. That's what your heart looks like right there. The Holy Spirit has to live in that septic mess. How about this next one? Variance. Constant strife. You fight with your wife, or you fight with your husband, you fight with your kids, you fight with your co-workers, you, you bicker at church, you bicker everywhere. Strife, discord, strife, discord. And your heart looks like that. And you say, Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. And God says, when you got that going on, uh, I, I, don't, I don't think I can do that. Emulations, wrath. Strife, seditions, heresies, envyings. I'll give you an example of envying. Looking at a car someone else want, has, and not only wanting it, but wanting them. Not only wanting the same thing, but wanting that exact one so they can't have it. Looking at someone's marriage and saying, my husband's an idiot. If I could be married to that guy, boy, my life would be great. Not that you want to be married to a guy like him. You want to be married to that guy. Envies. Murders. So, well, Pastor, I've never committed murder. Be careful. Matthew 5 teaches that if you have hatred towards someone, then you are guilty of breaking the spirit of the law of murder. Drunkenness. And that word revelings means the party life. The party life. The loose party life. Christians... This right here, in some way, is what my heart has looked like for a large majority of my Christian life. And I've learned Christian behavior, because I've grown up in Christian church. And I've learned how to put on a good front. And I've learned how to look the part, dress the part, act the part. The truth is, my parents and my siblings growing up saw this sometimes. And the truth is, my wife and my kids have seen this sometimes. You know, if I were to wrap this up with paper, where you couldn't see what was inside, maybe you wrap it up and draw on there a suit with a tie and an arm over here holding a Bible under it. You look at that and go, oh man, that must represent a good Christian. You can't see what's on the inside. But then somebody comes along and life jars you. You know what? I better put this in here. (laughs) Life jars you. And oh boy, they see an angry explosion. You know why? Because what's on the inside comes on the outside when life gets tough. You know why it is that you get angry so fast? Because you're not filled with the Spirit. You're filled with sin. Christian, this is the worst way to live the Christian life. 
This is the worst way. This is misery 101 right here. You're staring at it. But this is what most Christians look like on the inside. And if you're honest with yourself, might be what you look like on the inside. Number four, notice the fruits of Holy Spirit fulfillment. Look at Galatians chapter 5 and look at verse number 22. Galatians chapter 5, verse number 22. It says there, But the fruit of the Spirit, read it out loud with me, is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. So what does it look like when your spirit is filled up and overflowing with the Holy Spirit? What happens? You know, if I had about 10 more gallons of water up here, and they were pure water, I want to show you what this looks like on the inside. You see that? What I could do to make the point proven is start pouring in the water. And you know, at first, what you'd get is you'd get a lot of filth of the residue of sinful decisions that have been left behind. Now that right there is cleaner than this right here, but it doesn't really look like it, does it? But if I would keep pouring in water and pouring in water and pouring in water, about 10 gallons from now, the inside of this would look clean. Look clean. Take some time, but it would look clean. That's what we need, Christians. The Old Testament, the prophet said, pour water upon me. Said that he would pour out the Spirit on them that thirst, on dry ground. And what we need tonight is for Christians to say, I'm going to push aside the sinful habits. I'm going to cling to the Lord and I'm going to pour in Bible reading. I'm going to pour in prayer. I'm going to pour in church faithfulness. I'm going to pour in uh, uh, the expulsion of sin out of my life. I'm going to pour in all of that which is good from God's Word. And I'm going to submit myself to the Holy Spirit of God. And I'm going to allow that to fill me. And in time, the contents of the inside of our heart become a place that is pure and lovely and joyous. And God says, that right there is a man or a woman that is not filled with sin and the fruit of it, but is filled with the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit. That right there is a brother or sister in the Lord, a child of mine that is filled with pure love, not lust. He's filled with joy instead of false worships and drug diversions. Uh, he's filled with peace instead of hatred and discord and jealousy. He's filled with long-suffering instead of wrath. He's filled with gentleness instead of strife. He's filled with goodness instead of sowing discord. He's filled with faith instead of heresies. He's filled with meekness instead of envyings and murderers. And he's filled with temperance instead of drunkenness and revelings or the party life. 
When we allow God to be poured into our heart and we don't make the mistake of dumping Him back out and pouring in sin and then dumping that out and pouring in sin. Listen, I'm afraid that in my life, for too many years, my life was uh, going to church and having the Spirit of God poured in and then going home and losing my temper and pouring out and pouring in uh, the fruits of the flesh. And God says, you're not filled with me. There have been times where I have gotten up in the past and I have preached sermons. And my heart was not right. There have been times where I've gone out soul winning. And I've taken the good news of Jesus Christ to try to sell, tell someone how to get to heaven. And my heart wasn't right. While the truth mattered, and while the truth went forth and it was heard, it wasn't done with the same power that it could have been done if my heart was pure. Why don't Baptist Church, if we're going to be a church that lets the Holy Spirit have control of us, if we're going to be a holy a church that's filled with brothers and sisters in the Lord, with the Holy Spirit ruling and reigning and bearing His fruits in our lives, we're going to have to start saying no to some sinful habits and start saying yes to living our lives in a way where the Holy Spirit has full control and calls every shot of our heart. How about it tonight? Are you filled with the Spirit? Or are you filled with... With the fruits of the flesh. Let's have our heads bowed nice close tonight. Lord, would you help us to break the cycle of being filled with the Spirit and then filled with the flesh? Help us to commit to a lifestyle of purity, a lifestyle of fulfillment. As I read through so many stories in the Bible and so many stories of, of, of Christian history, I see men and women who accomplish great things for you who were evidently filled with your power. They were able to say no to sinful habits. They were able to make changes and able to allow you to work through them. And God, with all my heart tonight, that's what I want. I pray that's what we would want. Or do something powerful during this time of invitation. Convict, poke, prod. Help us to get things right. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet. The altar's open. How about it, Christian? How about it, Christian? Will you come and kneel and tell the Lord that you want your heart to be pure before Him? You're tired of playing the back and forth game. Maybe you're tired of Maybe you're tired of not even trying. You've just given up. It's time to care. It's time to have a heart that's pure and right. Are you filled with the Spirit? Hey, what evidence of there is what evidence is there, Christian, that you are? Can you point to a supernatural ability to love in a difficult situation? Can you point to growth where you were impatient and now you are? Patient? Can you point to a time where you used to live in depression and now the joy of God is consuming you? What evidence is there?